Hello and welcome to the Richard Grannon Podcast with me, your host, Richard Grannon. Who am I? Well, I suppose what I try to do is I try to help people to protect themselves um, from people who wish them harm. So I was raised in a chaotic and abusive childhood environment where it was uh, very difficult for me to feel safe. Um, And so I have an empathy for people who experience that kind of trauma, complex trauma. It creates deep-seated wounds, uh, these things in childhood that we try to rectify in adulthood, typically in very dramatic, maladaptive and chaotic ways. It creates a lot of chaos in your life. I was raised by people who were impossible to please and they were incapable of love. There was physical and sexual uh, boundary breaks. Um, but the worst thing was the, there was the emotional abuse because it made me codependent. I think I realized that my family was a bit of a mess. Yeah, quite late, probably late 20s. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So and you then, knew that it was bad, but you didn't realize it was different, really different to the rest of the way families operated. Well, I think like a lot of trauma survivors, I operated with a fair degree of denial. So the worst elements of my um, childhood, like the sexual abuse, I just buried. I just didn't think about it. And so I would compare the more superficial elements of the abusive environment to other people's family ho- uh, homes, the family environment. And then, yeah, it was in my late 20s, early 30s. It started, the pieces started to come together for me and I was like, okay, I was not raised well. I was not raised at all. I wasn't really parented. I was just cohabitating with two people who were very emotionally dysregulated and quite mentally ill. I'm trying to sort out the issues I had with the love I did or didn't get from my mother and father through my adult relationships. Mm -hmm. And I'm fighting for that by attaching to women who are incapable of loving me in a normal way. And I'm trying to win that love from the unlovable. That's That's the effort. This is where my unconscious says the great resolution would would come from. Romance, I I just like historically, I hope it stopped. If the girl hits the right buttons for me, I go into a disassociated trance state. (laughs) I ignore every red flag. Every red flag is cute, it's sexy, it's funny, it's interesting. And I always am thinking the same thing. It's okay, this girl's different. It's okay, this girl's different. It's okay, this girl's different. The first one that I entered into and didn't, I didn't have the way of knowing that it could be bad, but also I was so bad that it's irrelevant anyway. I was 25, I was doing six nights a week on the door, which is a lot, most people do too. So I wasn't sleeping properly. And then I was an area manager for a security company during the day. And I had a pretty strong cocaine habit. And I was with a girl who was probably 21 or 20 and it was a bad relationship, but I was bad, she was bad, we were both bad in it. And there was definitely like mental health labels that could be applied, but it was just chaos. 
Um, then I think when I was 29, I got into a relationship with a girl who was a classic histrionic borderline and I wasn't bad. I was sober and I was really like, I want to get married and I want kids. And I knew this girl for, I'd known her for like 15 years on and off. We'd been in and out of contact and I trusted her. And um, yeah, I think within six months she cheated on me um, and she begged me to stay with her, to take her back. She promised she'd change. And it just fell apart. It just... I did my best to um, recover. I went into uh, therapy, I think, for a couple of months. And um, yeah, that was, I was okay for a few years. It took, it took me a while to get over it. Um, again, I was pretty heartbroken uh, because I did really, really like her. And I thought, I thought we were on a certain path together and it transpired that we weren't. The healthy relationship, um, from, from my point of view, and it's going to sound really dumb, would be, but I think it's valid, is free from abuse. You know, you just have to, if you have two people who are on the same page, they're not lying, they're not trying to exploit each other, they're not stuck in a domination mindset, then they have a chance at, at well, that's the beginning of a healthy relationship. If none of that creeps in, even if terrible things happen, or they end up splitting up, or they fall out of love with each other, it was still healthy. The easiest way to understand it is the narcissistic parents or parents scoop out the child's desires and drives and persona and they put their needs into them. So the child learns to prioritize the needs of superior tyrants. That becomes their attachment style, if you like. That's how they know love, is through service. So I would say I'm a dyed-in-the-wool codependent. I've been bred for slavery, essentially. So for me now, as a, as a, a grown man, I have to try to relearn how to be a person. It's not that I'm not a man. I'm not even a person. I'm not really here. You're talking to a semblance of somebody. That's a hard, I, I believe I'm a hardcore codependent. So what you're interacting with. Uh, no, that's not this story, unfortunately. It's not, unfortunately, that's not the, like, I was suffering and then I found the golden chalice and I drank the, and everything is fine now. I do a very good job of uh, convincing you that I'm fine, but I'm not, I'm not fine. I'm not really here. Part of me is here, I'm slowly coming back. Can, can you? Um, see, that's your codependent response. You're trying to, you're trying to help me. That's your codependency uh, starting up. There's, there's an avatar of a person that's here, but it's, I'm not fully present. So I can do the job of a human being but it's a performance I put on for the sake of others. I do not think that I would ever get back into a narcissistically abusive relationship as I did in this last go around, but it, it's not awareness and knowledge that's changed in me. I think the only thing that can save us, you can learn all the red flags you want, you can learn all the strategies you want, it's all horseshit, you'll still do it unless you do this. You must individuate. So I'm, a, I'm more strongly individuated than I was previously. You know, I said to you, I'm not really here. I'm more here now than I was at the beginning of this relationship. And it's not 
you know, uh, it's not person A must fight the narcissism in person B. It's person A must be a person and then they won't tolerate narcissism because they won't supplant their own desires and their own self for the needs of another. They'll just say, I'm not doing that. I haven't got space for you in my life because it's full of me. Whereas if my life is empty, oh, there's plenty of room for your craziness. Come on in. Narcissistic abuse is universal in that way. It's a pandemic of narcissism that we're looking at. And so it's, it's eerie how the strategies and even the, the syntax of the words used uh, are exactly the same wherever you go. So there's this universe, universality to it that means wherever I go, there's a chance that I'm going to run into somebody that'll be like, oh, you're, that, you're the narcissism guy, or, oh, it's Richard. Where do you want me looking? Nam your hoarding go. Are you glad that everything's happening? Yeah. Because you like doing what you're doing. I'm a believer a believer in Nietzsche. I'm a believer in his philosophy of Amor Fati. Which means love your fate. This is where I am, so I assume this is where I'm supposed to be because the belief that that's where I'm supposed to be keeps me sane.